0: Welcome to the Lead with Empathy podcast. I am your host, Holly Logan, and here we are going to have meaningful and hopefully some fun conversations about motherhood, parenthood, illness, disease, physical and mental wellness, nutrition, and beyond. And as the title implies, we lead here with empathy. With that said, let's dive into the episode. Welcome to the first podcast of this series. We're going to dive into the path of what I believe was my path to an improved, healthier, stronger life with a deeper, more positive relationship with myself. And today is all about our relationship with food and our self-esteem. This is a big topic, and I put it first because this is where the most work really needs to be done, I believe, for a sustainable, healthy lifestyle. And I truly believe that. I've already talked about this actually in an interview and have some guests who really want to come on and talk about all of this but it's crucial to our physical and mental health to understand and heal our relationship with food. I have a lot of empathy for anyone struggling with self-esteem and body issues and poor relationships with food. And as a friendly reminder, I'm not your healthcare provider, and this information is not meant to be medical advice. I'm also not a licensed counselor, so this is all personal experience and growth I want to share with you, but this is not meant to replace those people in your life. And also a reminder that I'm not perfect, and I don't pretend to be, so I still have hiccups in my mental health and self-esteem, and I pull myself back through the strategies that we're going to talk about. So why is this important? Going into relationships with food, I have been in counseling for many reasons in my life and I've had many counselors, but none were for food issues. And it was something I explored in high school and started to understand more and more with age. I have issues with binge eating or eating large quantities at a time. And I've also had an issue as a teen with restricted eating, then binging because of my self-esteem. And I love sugar. I love chocolate and I do use it as a comfort. And I personally feel like society always wants a diagnosis. And sure, you could probably have slapped on a diagnosis on me. But I personally feel, what would that change? Honestly, what would have changed for me as like a young adolescent or teenager? Maybe it would have gotten me access to a dietitian and a counselor, but that wasn't the path for me. And I still was able to find and gain control over my relationship with food. So I do feel like this work can be done solo. It is possible. I'm living proof of that. And it's not to say that you shouldn't have those people in your life, but I feel like having a counselor for some people is really hard. So I want you to feel like empowered that you can take over this relationship yourself. So one thing I explored in counseling in the past, though, is how relationships and trauma in my family have impacted my mental health, my self-esteem and relationships inadvertently with food. But when I start to reflect on my relationship with food, I've had someone in my life with a history of anorexia because it was a control issue due to trauma. I believe that impacted me. My grandmother cleans her plate with others during meals. I spent a lot of time with her growing up and she has said to me before, it's related to food insecurity as a child and now it's an addiction to food. And I do believe that impacted me growing up because if you see someone in your life just constantly cleaning their plate and others, it definitely impacted how I consume food. My great-grandfather was in World War II and going forward never really ate anything that was about to spoil and he consumed heavy amounts of sugar and I think that impacted me too. Like he would have a coffee with four creams, four sugars, and a donut for breakfast. I don't understand how he did not have some of the chronic diseases associated with that, but he consumed a lot of sugar and therefore so did I because I was with him a lot. We all have our own relationships with food, and I don't blame anyone in my life for these things, by the way. It's just as a child, I'm exposed to these different worlds, and it impacted me, and now I can heal it. And it can be different at different times in our life as well, and I recognize that. I recognize that some of us have dealt also with food insecurity or trauma or other world events that impact our relationship with food. That's a really important piece to address, and think about that when you think about food. But this is not actually where I started. So I started on my own about, I would say, age 14 or 15. I honestly started with women's health magazines. I started to analyze and understand nutrition from magazines because previously I didn't have an education on it. And again, I'm not shaming my family, but it just wasn't within our realm of conversation. We ate a lot of fast food. My grandmother always had a ton of sweets in the house for my grandfather. I didn't eat breakfast because I always had a stomach ache, more on that later, and then (laughs) thought when I was older... I would lose weight by restricting food. But finally, I learned in like late middle school and into high school slowly the importance of fueling my body. So literally at age 14, I started this journey that was over 15, I don't know, 16, 17 years ago. And I know I struggled with self-esteem because I was the tallest girl of my friends. I developed early. I was never petite. Uh, All of my friends, what is it with us tall girls? All of our friends are always just like petite. (laughs) It's very hard. Um, And I had a a lot of struggles with that. And even in high school, though, when I felt like I was starting to feel better with exercise and learning that breakfast wasn't evil and that breakfast actually helped fuel my metabolism, I didn't have the self-confidence because I was always playing that comparison game that I was not that size zero or two or even a four. I have deep memories, honestly, of food struggles. I remember being hungry at school and yet not wanting to eat in front of people. I remember sitting at lunch in middle school with a friend who ate just like half a chicken sandwich and nothing else, which was clearly not enough, who struggled with eating too. And she was literally a size zero, a size zero. And she struggled with eating and food. So isn't that insane to think about? That is insane for me to think about now, especially, um, that we are so obsessed with specific numbers and that there are people at those numbers who still struggle with food. Just baffles me. So back to the magazines. Honestly, it all started with education when I think about it. This is where knowledge becomes power because I believed that food made me fat. And that's just being honest. Not that it was fuel. Not that our body literally needs it to survive and thrive and fuel those metabolisms that actually help us to be an optimum weight. Let's take a moment, too, to go over how our bodies function. Our brains and muscles literally work off carbohydrates. Carbs are not evil. In large, excessive processed quantities we're exposed to now, of course, not good for us. And we'll go into that deeper in the next food section. But I started reading magazines about food and learned so much about why we need variety in our diet, why we need real color and variety to fuel our health. Back when I was 15, I was not reading about my gut microbiome, but I was learning that food is fuel really as simple as that. And that my body needed to actually fuel to eat and to function well. And that weight loss or being an ideal body weight means eating and eating well, especially considering I was an athlete and running my body to the ground pretty much year round. When I was in high school, I remember that's when the low carb diet came out actually. And so carbs were the enemy is essentially what I heard all the time. But again, it is about the quality and quantity. You can't just view carbs themselves as the enemy. That is not how we develop a positive relationship with food around you. Um, And then fats are not also not the demon. We need them for energy, for hormones, for our cell function We need them. We get them from meats and oils, and there are good oils in our lives. We obviously need protein for chemical reactions, structures, immunity, muscle tissue. None of these aspects of food should be demonized and actually celebrated that our bodies know what to do with them and know how to efficiently use them in the body. I literally started to learn these simple facts from reading magazines, nothing fancy, That was the media back then, right? Uh, I do think that constantly seeing fit models in these magazines was a double-edged sword. It was motivating, and I did learn from these magazines, but it did also fuel that feeling of not good enough. Very hard thing to describe there because it had both its good and negative features. But then I also started to learn about portions and slowing down and actually enjoying food and kind of how all those pieces fit together. This was important because I was so used to shoveling food. I would chew so fast because I would fast for like 18 hours and then be starving, which is fasting is not a good thing when you're that age. Then honestly, when I had kids, it was bad because we just shoveled all the time to like get the food when we actually got a chance to sit and think. But actually sitting and thinking about what I'm eating and why, I still have to actually pause myself and think about that because the kids are always just being crazy and I'm always running and I don't always sit to think about what I'm eating. I overall just didn't get a sense of what I still don't sometimes want my hunger cues are, but I am getting better at that. There were other pieces of the puzzle too, and I'm still filling in those pieces. I Like I started to learn about the American diet and the overconsumption of processed and fast food, that juice and soda was literally just sugar and my body would store it away because it didn't know how to handle it all and i truly didn't know this at that age i used to love soda it was it was awful i just loved the taste and the carbonation it was one of the first things i eliminated though when i learned how bad it was for my body this may have been common sense to you but my grandfather drank soda like all day long pepsi mountain dew like that's what he drank and i spent a lot of time with him so it was just what i was exposed to it's all i knew And then I thought diet soda was the answer when learning again in a magazine, then that fake sugar can make you crave real sugar. It's not good for our kidneys. All again, I learned through reading. And part of the reason I wanted to share all of this with you and more to come on like the food stuff. But over the years, I have also revisited this idea and we'll talk about that too, but I still like soda, but I save it for particular meals and on like rare occasions because I know it's not the best option for me, but I still enjoy it. I don't find shame in that anymore because I accept it and I control it, not the other way around. I do want to quickly note calorie counting too, because I did this for a short time in high school and I think at one point my goal was like 1400 calories, which is insanely low. One thing I think can be helpful, though, when trying to adjust your relationship with food is calorie counting through some of these fitness apps, though, because it's not actually about the calories for me. So for some people, that can be a trigger, especially if you have some food issue diagnoses. So this isn't medical or nutrition advice. But hear me out. When I was in college, we had to do this food tracker thing, and it wasn't the calories that shocked me. It was the sodium and the carbs and the imbalance of all those nutrients that shocked me. So for some people, this can be a valuable tool because you can actually see how many calories and things that you're consuming in a package of cookies. But don't let that number bring you shame. Let it inspire you. Bring awareness to it and know that you can make a change. Calorie counting, I know, can be a slippery slope. And I know people who hold on to a particular number all the time. And that's not good for our body either. You can actually play around with your calories to lose weight and go up and down. And this is an episode about calorie counting. This is about the relationship with those calories. But I don't personally do it and haven't for a while because it's not my goal, nor do I need to do it right now. I would consider it again if I was trying to hit certain goals. But let those numbers, if you decide to try that, empower you to make better choices. Don't let it shame you. Let it empower you. And that's what I think is important about initially starting kind of putting your food into these some of these food trackers. Because again, when I learned how many calories on average I was consuming in soda in a year, I was baffled. Same with like ketchup. Same with cake. Again, sugar is my vice. It's not just about the calories, but it's certainly part of it because food had control over me and more importantly, how I felt consuming all that soda. I had reflux, I had abdominal pain, I had constant hunger, and how I felt about myself for consuming that soda was all just negative. I don't shame myself about it anymore. I just know it's not what I want for my body. It's not the best choice for my body. So you may be thinking, I know all this, Holly, I know all this about food, and I still feel like food has power over me. I know that I need fuel to survive, and I know it's about portions and balance and slow chewing, but I still can't help but eat a whole chocolate cake should it come my way. How do I change that? I've had to deeply reflect on this because as I have tried to monitor and remove things from my kids' diet, I want them to understand our relationship with food matters. And I don't want them to be obsessed with the negative surrounding food. I don't want them to be scared of food or scared that I'm going to be upset with them if they steal chips at a birthday party. I always tell people that my goal with my kids is that if we go to a birthday party, they have pizza and chips and cake, but they also reach for fruit and cucumber slices and water And they don't reach for like all the candy and all the chips because they know it's not what their body needs and they're probably not going to feel good. And that's one question you need to ask yourself a lot. Do you feel good after you eat that whole cake or whatever your advice is? I know I needed to tell myself as a young person, Holly, you don't feel good when you don't eat. But you also don't feel good when you overeat. That stomach pain and cramping and abnormal poop, TMI, that's not normal. And you can control that. Don't let food do that to you. Enjoy a slice of cake, but you know if you eat that whole damn thing, you won't feel good. And again, this has taken a lot of self-reflection and willpower because I love cake. And I say cake specifically because my grandfather used to get this chocolate peanut butter cake that I could literally sit down and eat the whole thing. Do I want to live my life never having chocolate peanut butter cake again? Of course not. I love it. It actually brings back very positive memories of my grandfather. I don't want to let that go. But I also don't want to be one of those women who refuse to eat a cupcake in the name of health or just consume artificial sugar in the place of that, thinking it's a better choice. So let me ask you this. Do you want to go to a party and never have a cupcake again? Think about that. Not because maybe it doesn't make you feel good, but because sugar is bad and makes you fat. I remember when I used to feel this way, and even now I see women proud of themselves for not having a cookie, and it it makes me sad. I understand we all have our own relationships, but do you want to go to parties the rest of your life and never eat a cupcake again? I'm not saying you need to every time, but do you want to never enjoy that again? Never want to make cookies with your kids and never eat a cookie. When I was in practice as a nurse practitioner, I had this patient I would see on occasion who battled anorexia, and this was obviously a more serious issue, but she was severely restricting what she could consume. It was like, I think, an elimination diet to the extreme. And I once asked her at just like 18 years old if she wanted to live the next 80 years or not without ice cream. Did she want to go the next 80 years and never eat ice cream? And I still remember this little twinkle in her eye. And I like to think that that got her thinking like, wow, I never thought of it that way. I know that seems so middle school and so simple, but you need to ask yourself how you find that balance. So do you have shame after you eat that cookie? I personally don't have shame anymore, but eating the whole dozen or way too much makes me say, Holly, you don't feel good. You didn't need that. You're not going to feel well. And that is also important. Find the self-control. So you aren't dealing with the stomach pain or bloat or bowel issues or brain fog or sugar crash or whatever you get from overconsuming. You can't tell me you haven't had any of those negative symptoms after overeating. Pay attention to that. It is empowering and it's also kind of gratifying when you acknowledge it and then you kind of pull back. Also ask yourself, are you actually chewing? Are you enjoying your food or just choking it down fast? I do think it's important to start being mindful when you're eating shutting off the TV, shutting off distractions, sitting at the table, not the couch, and actually focusing on your food, what you're choosing, how much you're choosing. And again, not to shame yourself, to empower yourself, to empower yourself to make those choices and those choices that make you feel good mentally and physically. Again, I am not a counselor. I'm not trying to be. Many people listening may need one but also believe we can do a lot of the work ourselves. I have done this work myself. I've had more than four counselors in my life. Food has never been part of the conversation and I've been doing the work. I've done a lot of work through reading and constant, constant reflection. I do want to pivot and talk about self-esteem because this is also a very heavy and important topic and it's very connected to eating and emotional eating, which is what a lot of what I do. When I had young girl teens come in to talk about mood disorders, I could almost always link it to poor self-esteem. It's part of the reason, honestly, for my work I want to do here. So what's the solution? Because telling people they're overweight can be triggering, right? But it's undoubtedly part of our self-confidence. There's also a lot of people who are against talking about the science of weight in the name of body positivity. But here's my thought. If you're very overweight and you have a great self-esteem, your internal and external health, your labs, everything looks great, then you do you. But I also see some influencers who are like big on body positivity and yet suffer with reflux or bloating or mood disorders or, you know, like anxiety or depression or something. And you can't tell me it's not related to the excess sugar and caffeine and fast food that they're openly consuming. You can't because I know that I consumed so much fast food, consumed so much soda, have transformed how I eat and how I feel about myself and food and have drastically improved my physical and mental health. And you don't know until you try to see if those changes are enough for you to do the same. So body positivity is not the only answer. It can't be because also we put ourselves at higher risk for chronic disease like cardiovascular disease and even cancer as our body mass index increases. If we want to live a long, healthy and active life, we need to understand that weight does matter. And it also can't be about a specific number either. It can't be just being thin either. Personally, I do go buy a realistic weight in jean size for myself. Finding that realistic number has taken some time, but I know I will never be a zero or a two, nor do I want to be. When I honestly was at my smallest, I was a size four. And that was from being fit because of stress when my grandfather passed away. And then again, right at the end when I was diagnosed with celiac disease, I was my most unhealthy I've ever been in my life. And I was a size four. Whatever size you are now, if you're not happy with it, You need to like meditate and journal about what a realistic number is for you within, say, the next year, maybe two years, not two months, a sustainable, healthy number. And when I started to not feel good again postpartum and my gene size was at its highest it's ever been, I needed to start making some changes. And it was not about the gene size. And I want you to hear that. It was not about the number itself. It was about the number and the fact that I did not feel good. I was bloated. I was battling thyroiditis. My clothes felt tight and my stomach felt big and uncomfortable. And again, if I had felt good and my body and my mind were all cooperating and I was that new jean size, so be it. This may be all hard to hear and maybe some people will feel kind of anger because it sounds like I'm body shaming. But please hear me out. I do understand we need representation of different sizes, especially like in media and magazines, as I've said, and I couldn't agree more with that. But if you had told 12-year-old me that I was perfect the way I was, that's not true. I did not feel good about myself, nor did I physically feel well after downing 20 chicken nuggets and a large fry and washing it down with a Diet Coke. And if you told me one year ago that I was perfect the way I was, that was also a lie. I did not feel good and my body was feeling the impact of stress and overeating sugar and sleep deprivation and caffeine and heavy portions and habits. Did I give myself grace being postpartum? Yes. But at some point I had to face that I was slipping back into my poor habits again. I am not shaming you for some of your poor heating habits. I think it's really important to understand why are they happening. Remember, the title of the podcast is Leave With Empathy. So hear me out. And I will tell you, when I was postpartum, I can down a breakfast with coffee and half a gallon of creamer, then turn around a few hours later, eat some leftover brownies with some more coffee. I have had those poor habits twice. And third time, I really had to say, Holly, no more. You're slipping back into your poor habits. That is not serving your body or your mind. It was not about my gene size. You're letting that food and sugar have control over you and you don't feel good. Don't let that do that to you. Enjoy your brownie, but don't have seven. You can find another way to cope and you can do it yourself. Again, Reflection slowness, willpower, reflection. It's a circle and a cycle for me. It's something that comes with practice, awareness, and time, and you can do it yourself. When it comes to food and your self-esteem and your body image, you need to remember that you are only competing with yourself. I read that in a book by Lewis Howes, and I do believe it. You are only competing with yourself. If you don't feel well, you don't like how you feel or how you look, that should be your only competition with yourself. You can't compare yourself to your friends, the influencers, the people around you who make it look like you have to be a certain size or weight. You need to know and connect with the part of you that is only competing with yourself to be your best self. There's also just a general self-awareness that comes with the practice of reflection and being your best self. And I want to be clear, it's not about being your best self and not becoming someone else who you don't want to be. It's not about raising your self-confidence to become the vibrant, gregarious person in the room. Not everyone is that way and that's okay. Self-confidence isn't something we have to radiate. It comes from within. It's an inner strength. We have to flex, reflect on the story you tell yourself about food. Do you tell yourself you can never change? Do you tell yourself this is just how you are and you aren't worth the change? Do you tell yourself you're always, you've always been overweight and unhappy about it and there's nothing you can do about it? Do you tell yourself that you've always had a poor self-esteem and you're not worthy of self-confidence and joy in your body? Do you tell yourself that feeling gross when you eat is just normal? By the way, it's not. More to come in kind of as we go in this series. What do you tell yourself that isn't true? I know I told myself at a young age that I was always just going to be the bigger, fatter girl compared to my friends. And now I know that there are different body types and skinny doesn't equate to healthy and happiness. I told myself that I was addicted to food and that it wasn't something I could overcome, and yet I did it. I did it. I'm here. I don't let food control me like it did, and I still struggle with portions, and I am cognizant of it because of how it makes me feel. And I also decided that I want to live a happy, healthy, strong life, which will allow me to see my kids, hopefully my grandkids or even my great grandkids, and be able to keep up with them physically and mentally for a long time. And I'm just being realistic that I can't do that if I just consume junk all the time. And I want the same for my kids and their kids and future generations. That's why you'll hear me talk about generational health. You may be thinking you don't know what it's like to be me. Um, I'm 100 pounds overweight. I feel uncomfortable in my own skin and you have the knowledge and I don't know where to start. I know I've never been 100 pounds overweight, but I have a lot of empathy, again, for body insecurity low self-esteem, not wanting to take your shirt off at the pool at a young age. We all have different lives, lived experience. And just because I'm not you, it doesn't mean I don't have empathy for your feelings and insecurities. And believe me, it takes work. This isn't a thing where you shut off this podcast and your life has changed. We're going to dive into foods on the next part of the series. And I hope learning about food helps to accelerate a positive relationship with food and accelerate your life to where you want it to be. But at the end of the day, it all takes work. But I promise for your life and longevity, it is worth the work. So this was a heavy topic and I feel like there could be parts of it that people don't agree with me which is absolutely fine. But again as the title leads, I lead my heart with empathy and someone who is recovering from food issues and self-esteem issues and has made huge leaps in their relationship with food over the years, understanding how I feel, how much I consume and how it makes me feel, feeling educated and empowered about the food we consume, which we will dive into next. It's what drives me to do better for my body every day. I don't live by a number or appearance for certain people. I do it for myself. Because I know it's what I want to live a healthy, strong, vibrant, non-bloating, not-live-by-the-toilet type of life. And that doesn't come easy. I don't want you to think I woke up and made these changes happen. It's a mindset. It's a reminder to myself every day that I am in my only competition. And that if I want to live my best life, I need to take care of myself. We all have our demons, right? My monster in the corner is always probably going to be that chocolate cake and sugar. It's not going away. I'm reminded constantly that it's there. And I have to keep up that fight to keep it in the corner. But again, I've trained my mind to know that I can and will do better for my body, period. I still enjoy cake sometimes, but I don't let that monster control me. My strength is not that confidence comes natural or easy to me, but my strength is knowing when I start to slip, when I start to listen to the wrong voice inside my head telling me I'm not thin enough or that I have no control over the food I eat, I take a moment and remember no, I do this for me. I am enough. It's not about how thin I am. It's about how I feel. Does some of that mean how I look in my clothes? Yes. How I feel in my clothes? Yes. And I think there's a part of that that is healthy and normal. I keep clothes that are slightly small because I know I'm not at my optimal nutrition and fitness right now. I have some realistic work to do and I accept that and I'm okay with that. I just want to be my best optimum self and feel my best. But I did get rid of my size fours a long time ago because I realistically said, hey, if I'm there cool because that means maybe I'm my most lean ever, but maybe if I'm doing it a certain way, I don't know. But the two times that I was a four, again, was one was during the death of a family member and one when I was really ill. So that's not my goal. I don't set that as my goal. And just in case you need to hear it, you are worthy of living your best life too. And I want to be able to get into my bathing suit and jump in the pool with my kids without shame or guilt after I eat that gluten-free cupcake at the party. And so you can have the cake and enjoy it all. It's just going to take some work and reflection. So my strength may not be coming out of the womb as the most confident and self-assured person, but I hope this talk, some of this logic helps you with your own strength, that you need to take action to take care of yourself. And it all starts with the barriers in your head. With that said, I want to send out something, some journal activities, either through my email or I'll put some things out there on my Instagram so you can write down, meditate on it, explore it, maybe think about it with a counselor, whatever works for you. But keep coming back to this as you dive deeper into food and stress and all the things. So two final plugs. I wanted to add, I am finally getting to reading the book that everyone recommends, which is Atomic Habits by James Clear. And when it comes to food and habits and even self-esteem, I think this book could be really helpful for anyone looking to reset their habits and their mindset. It's a very simple, quick read I'm finding, but it's giving me a lot of great mindset ideas into my head and how I want to kind of structure our life. So I wanted to add that. And I hope to build on this conversation too. So if there's something that hit home with you, please comment on my most recent post on Instagram. I'd love to hear from you. Send me a DM and I will try to post something too specifically for some journaling ideas. But thank you again. This was a really heavy topic. This is hard for me to talk about. But again, I believe it's really important. I maybe will have to do like a part two if there are other things that come to mind. But I've been working on this for probably uh, over a year. So I really hope there were things that hit home with you today. I also interestingly was listening to a podcast with Andrew Huberman today with Joshua Paul Conti, and I hope to expand on that because I'm learning so much from that. But I do want to end with just a quote from Dr. Will Cole. I saw this on a post on Instagram from him, and I just loved it. You can't heal a body you hate. You can't obsess your way to health. You can't shame your way to wellness. Thanks again for being here. Thank you for listening in today. And I hope you'll be back. Stay curious, stay humble and always lead with empathy. Please also take a moment to share this episode with someone this podcast, write a review or comment on my latest Instagram post at Holly Logan underscore help. Thank you. Have an awesome day.